Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. On today's program, James Collins looks at some of the last days perilous times spoken of in Isaiah. And our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino and Michael Youssef, are back to give us the prescription for restoring sanity to a world that's gone mad. We have two important updates for you today. First, our Fall Prophecy Conference, scheduled for Columbus, Ohio, it's been canceled. It will now be an online conference. Still the same great speakers, just online. Billy Crone, Bill Federer, Greg Patton, Larry Stamm, James Collins, Dr. Kenneth Hill, and Larry Spargimino. You can watch all the sessions when you want, as often as you want from the comfort of your home. Register today for our Fall Virtual Prophecy Conference, swrc.com, and click on Conferences. Or you can register by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Our second update is about the new listener pack. We have had a tremendous response from brand new listeners to Watchmen on the Wall, wanting to learn more about our prophecy ministry. Hundreds of individuals and families are requesting our new listener packs. Now, in the pack is a welcome letter with history about the ministry, the latest issue of the Prophetic Observer, and a free gift. If you're a new listener, be sure and request your free new listener pack today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, and his guest, Michael Youssef, on finding hope for this present crisis. Dr. Michael Youssef is the host of the popular radio and TV broadcast, Leading the Way, It airs more than 13,000 times every week across six continents and 26 languages. And he is back with us. He is the author of Hope for This Present Crisis, The Seven-Step Path to Restoring a World Gone Mad. Thank you, Dr. Youssef, for being with us back on the show. Thank you so much for having me back. On page 155, you talk about a retired nurse, Gail Blair, up in Rhode Island, and she was serving the Lord publicly, as she has every constitutional right to do, and yet she was opposed in some very strong ways. Tell us about that. She is a great, great inspiration. Yes, I think she began to lose her sight. She does not want not to be used of God. This is the thing that I'll just get a little bit of a, on my hobby horse here for a minute and speak to all of the believers who have been sitting in the pews of salvation for so long and sitting on their blessed assurance and doing nothing. And here's a person with a challenge, and yet she would not allow that challenge to hold her back. And with her vision disorder, she eventually became blind. But She said, well, I still can do something. So she would go to the park. It's called Wilcox Park. And she would hand little pamphlets and stuff like that and got it, I think, from the Pocket Testament League. And people would come to her and they would talk to her. They would intrigue this, you know, blind lady who is really faithful and standing there in all kinds of weather and want to witness to Christ. But the police try to stop her. 
in 2019. They said, well, you can't do this. Well, it's her First Amendment right. She would not allow them to stop her. She just kept going. I think it was June of last year that her attorney filed a discrimination complaint with the Rhode Island Commission for Human Rights. And the case is still pending. But nonetheless, they're still out there trying to witness to the best of her ability in spite of her disability. And I think the inspiration of that story, I hope it would challenge so many Christians who are so timid and they're so frightened and they're so reluctant and they don't even want to go to any trouble to making Christ known. And when Christ saved us, somebody paid the price for us to come to know him. And unless God's people are going to rise up and be courageous in their witness for Christ, we're going to see the forces of Satan, his forces and his soldiers are going to keep more and more and more intimidating us in order to put us in a hole and then they will shut us up. Look, people say you've been victimized and look at the past and injuries. Well, I was persecuted as a Christian in the Middle East. Well, what did I do? I turned around and took the gospel to the people who persecuted me. Instead of complaining and feeling victimized by the persecutors, I'm taking the gospel to them. We have a television station 24-7 called KingdomSat. It's in 200 million homes in the Arabic-speaking world and Australia and Canada and so forth for all the Arabic speakers, literally 24-7. Some people told me that they just never turn it off. It's there 24-7 running at night and the daytime because we have fresh programming every 12 hours. This is what we need to do. Instead of wallowing and saying, oh, they're going to persecute us, we just say, take the gospel to the persecutors and share Christ with them. And every time I go to the Middle East, and I've been there twice already since the pandemic, and some of my dear friends here said, oh, it's dangerous, don't do this. And I said, well, what? Is my life so dear that I cannot obey the Lord? And what can they do to me? And, okay, the worst they can do is will kill me, okay? I go to heaven. That's not the worst thing. It's the best thing. And so we need to catch a fresh vision of courage for the Church of Jesus Christ if we're going to really not just weather this incredible onslaught of discrimination and persecution against Christians, but we can thrive and literally be blessed of God if we have courage. Amen. I look at the situation today and read your book. There's a lot of fear at this time. It paralyzes us. It takes away from the real dynamic that should be motivating us as Christians. I certainly hold to conservative Christian principles, but it seems to me that there are lots of people in the conservative movement that are dominated by fear, fear that we're losing ground, fear that we're losing our rights, fear, fear, fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. And when I read your book, I see courage in what you're saying and in the lives of people like Gail Blair and other people like that. So I think we need to realize, yes, we are losing a lot of our rights, but the idea of being dominated by fear, we're just in a surrender mode. And I don't see that in the scriptures. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, when the early church was persecuted, what did they do? They did not even pray for themselves. They prayed for more boldness. Yes. They want to be more bold, not crawl into a hole and say, oh, wow, me, 
God, why are you allowing this? Or why is this happening? And why is this group is taking over here? And why is this group doing this? And why are we being cheated? And so on. Okay, we know the devil is going to do that. I mean, that's given. So we just go and invade his territory. Amen. Amen. I was very, very moved. You've probably seen it's an ISIS video. Uh, I believe it's February 15, 2015. ISIS beheaded, I believe it was 21 Coptic Christians on a beach in Libya. And it's kind of a gruesome thing, but the courage of those men and and the fact that their family members, they were not angry. They said, praise God. One of the mothers said, what a testimony. She said, this testimony is being shown all over the Middle East and Libya and Egypt and Syria and Iran, where these men, each one, they were asked to deny Jesus. And there was this huge ISIS guy with this long knife behind them. You know where it was going. They were going to be beheaded. Every single one stood their ground. And what a testimony. Amazing, amazing. And you know what also the back story is? There was an African man who was with them. They're working people. They're laborers. They work hard. And this African man basically was influenced by the Christians from Egypt, and he was not a Christian. But they arrested him with them, and he could have said, hey, then I'm not a Christian. Get me out of here. But he said, no, I want to die with them because their God is now my God. And he literally volunteered and was killed with the 20 Egyptians, and he was the lone African who was not part of the Coptic community. It's, it's the most amazing, amazing story, but the strength and the testimony of some of the secularist and the Muslim, I'm neither Muslim by name only, they're not really religious people. The fanatics, of course, were saying, oh, yeah, great, great, kill them all. But some people in the media, all over the Middle East, one man was screaming and said, what are these Christians made of? Are they made of iron? What kind of courage do they have? And why don't we have any courage like... I mean, he was just really, really moved by and everybody in the media that and I follow very closely what's going on in that part of the world. And it's just an enormous testimony that people willing, when they could have saved their neck, they said, no. And I was just in Egypt in April and Dubai, I was preaching in both places. And while we were there, there was a story of a Coptic layman is in the Sinai Desert. He lived in Arish, in one of the big towns there. And he's a very wealthy jeweler who has funded the church. And they abducted him. They wanted $2 million, and he told his family, don't pay it. Then they wanted $5 million, and they said, don't pay it. For 45 days... <laughs> They threatened to kill him. He said, that's fine. I will be with the Lord. Don't you worry about it. And he assured his family. And sure enough, when we were there, the incident took place. It was all over the world. And they killed him right there on the spot and shot him in the head because they would not pay up. And he said, no, let them do it. And his boys were more than willing to do whatever it takes to release him. But they said, no, if we do that, they have won. I had the privilege of founding a church in Pakistan, and then we also have a Christian school in Pakistan. They are actually doing very well. I see courage. This is like Acts 29, Acts 30, bravery, fearless courage, belief that, okay, you take my life, I go to heaven. Jesus is my Savior. He's my Lord. And I didn't know much about Coptic Christianity, but that certainly impressed me. And I think you lived in Alexandria, did you not, sir? 
No, actually, we come from the south ah, where okay. it was a bastion of Christianity because for 1,400 years of Islamic invasion in the north, as the persecution heats, the Christians would come south. And so until 1952, when Nasser came into power, the south of Egypt was basically dominated by the Coptic Christian community in terms of numbers, in terms of land ownership, and so forth. In fact, you find that the vast majority of Christians in Cairo, Alexandria, and all the north since 52 have come from the south, because that's where the bastion of Christianity was for the last 1,400 years. Wow. You mentioned something that I think is critical, too. You know, as we look at Second Chronicles 7.14, where it says, if my people, that's the issue. And you point out that in the early years of the Church of the Apostles, a well-known pastor of a thriving megachurch visited your little congregation, it was little then, listened to you preaching, and then he critiqued your sermon. And he said, you talk too much about sin, confession, and repentance. What, how did that strike you at that time when you were just starting? The words he used, you need to understand that in your face preaching like this, those are the words, and in your face preaching like this, it's not going to build a big congregation. And I must admit, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I thought about it, and I thought about it a great deal. And I thought, I'm a trained theologian. I know how to parse words. And so maybe if I do this, or I do this, or I do the other thing. And then one morning in prayer, as I'm spending time with the Lord, and I felt the rebuke of the Holy Spirit, which I feel from time to time when I'm beginning to err. And I literally sense the Lord saying, Look, I'd rather you show up in heaven with a few people who will bless you for telling them the truth than having thousands of people in hell cursing you for not telling the truth, for not preaching the truth. And I said, Lord, I am so sorry even considering that. And that was over 25 years ago now, and I'm so grateful to the Lord for that. And I said, okay, as long as you give me breath, I will preach the uncompromised gospel and the Word of God as infallible, inspired, and God-breathed. And I've not always been faithful, but I have endeavored with every ounce of my being to do just that. You ask the question, is there no hope? Is America doomed to go the way of lost Babylon and the fallen Roman Empire? Are our children and grandchildren condemned to grow up in a ruined post-American world? I don't believe it's too late for America. And then you say, not yet. As we close, what is uppermost in your mind and what burns in your heart? What burns in my heart is for the believers. That's really the biggest burden of my heart right now, is while I'm, we've got evangelistic work going all over the world, I have a burden for the believer, for the Church of Jesus Christ. And I would just want to shake every one of those who are saying, oh, this is a time now for us not to be aggressive, and we need to do... I said, I want to shake them up, and I say, remember... Paul did not even claim to be the Roman citizen. He did not assert his own, the truth. He was, of course, telling the truth until after he was beaten. He could have saved himself a lot of beatings by telling them he was a Roman citizen ahead of time. But you see, suffering to him came with the territory. And I just want to shake, first of all, the pastors. That's another, if you dig deeper in my heart, you find that the pastors, particularly young pastors, 
I just want to say, please, do not compromise. Do not fall for popularity. Do not fall for being accepted at any price by the culture. Don't fear cancel culture. Let them cancel you because Jesus will never cancel you. So that's really the burden of my heart in the church in general and the pastors in particular. And I just would do whatever I can to encourage them, to uplift them, to stay true to the Word of God and not to compromise. Amen. Well, Dr. Youssef, thank you so much for these interviews. They're just, I must say, very, very thrilling. And you are a man of God, faithful to the Lord, and the Lord has blessed. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Pastor Larry, thank you for having me. Thank you, gentlemen. The complete two-day conversation with Michael Youssef is available on CD for a gift of $10 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order the CD online at swrc.com. Today in our Resource Center, we have Michael Youssef's new book, Hope for This Present Crisis. Let's face it. Our culture has lost its mind. Now we're waging a bigger fight, a war for our soul. We're under siege, and the war is not from without. It's from within. The collapse of the Roman Empire occurred in a single generation. and was not so much the result of invasions by their enemies, but the result of moral decay and internal corruption. Similar patterns are emerging in America. We neglected or abandoned our traditional institutions long ago. But now it's time to take them back. Today, forces are at work to strip the principles and precepts of faith from public venues or minimize their significance. Many progressive leaders are convinced that when Christianity disintegrates, it will create peace on earth. But the loss of our heritage will merely create a spiritual vacuum that will be filled with folly, crammed with chaos, or invaded by Islam. The reality is, Western civilization will become so decadent and reckless that America will collapse like a house of cards. In hope for this present crisis, Michael Youssef provides a diagnosis of the insanity of the current culture and a seven-step prescription for restoring sanity to a world gone mad. This book will teach you how to stand up to attacks on your faith and defend Christianity as a meaningful contribution to society. Get your copy of Hope for This Present Crisis by Michael Youssef for a gift of $25 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. A major sign of the end of the age when people call evil good and good evil. On today's installment of The Bible Says, James Collins looks at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, and examines some of the last day's perilous times. The Bible says in Isaiah 5, verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. For some time now, that passage of Scripture has been on my mind. 
We're living in a day when, like Isaiah said, people call evil good and good evil. Allow me to offer several thoughts among the hundreds that could easily be observed. Now, these are in no particular order. I recently read where an Ohio woman may get 50 years in jail for beheading her boyfriend's pet pig. I wonder what her potential prison time would have been if she had murdered her boyfriend. While we're on the subject of animals, if you abuse or kill an animal, you're in trouble. But murder an unborn human baby and throw its body in the trash, and that's just fine. Our government takes hard-earned money, called taxation, from those who work and reward those who don't work by giving it to them. It's called vote buying with your money, but it's legal. Manger scenes and Merry Christmas have been pushed out of sight since they honored Jesus. Instead, Satan is honored with witches and hobgoblins on Halloween. The marriage bed has been replaced with what we used to call just plain old shacking up. For those who do actually get married, divorce is quite common. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. I'll just get another one. Virginity has been replaced with free sex. It's more common today than a kiss was when I was a kid. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. The Bible calls the free sex crowd whores and whoremongers. Sex, which used to be strictly between a man, a husband, and a woman, a wife, has now been redefined. Today's so-called same-sex marriage is the law of our land. Men can marry men, and women can marry women. Now, some people are even marrying animals. I'm not making this up. Recently, a woman named Elizabeth Hode decided to dedicate her love and her life to her golden retriever by marrying her dog. After four broken-off engagements and over 220 dates, she simply couldn't find the right man. So instead, she found her true love in her beloved golden retriever dog. Clean language has been replaced today with gutter mouse. People who used to dress neatly have gone away, and that has been replaced with dressing down. Modesty has taken a vacation, and people often wear next to nothing in public. Clean, family-friendly movies have been replaced with garbage. If a woman is raped, she is more on trial than the rapist. In other words, the offended is persecuted while the offender is defended. Prisons are overcrowding because murderers aren't executed, and convicts are paroled so that they can commit more crimes. Prayers and the national anthem have been banned at ball games, but you can cuss all that you want. Bible stories have been removed from the schools and replaced with free condoms. The Ten Commandments have been replaced with pornography. Capitalism is being thrown out the window so we can have socialism. Decency is ridiculed while filth is promoted. I could go on and on and on giving examples of how we call evil good and good evil. I haven't even cracked the surface. These came to me in a matter of minutes. What's it going to take for people to wake up? 
Our lifestyle is going to hell in a handbasket, and few seem to care. Not only that, but the call evil good and the good evil crowd seems to be growing rapidly. Another thing that comes to mind concerning evil is that I cannot believe, especially from the older generation, just how much people look the other way, even in their own families. The tolerance afforded all this garbage is mind-boggling. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy how matters will be in the last day. Paul wrote these words to Timothy, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. You would think the Apostle Paul somehow read today's newspapers. These very few things that I mentioned and thousands of others are all around us screaming that the end of this age is drawing near. The economic systems of every country on earth are literally teetering on the brink of disaster. The only thing that has kept us from being flushed down the economic toilet before now is God's timetable. Our political system in this country is in the sewer. Generally speaking, we have very dishonest people in positions of leadership in our government who don't give a flip about anything but feathering their own nest and getting reelected. Crime is through the roof, and it's getting worse each and every day. Criminals are being coddled and taking over society like the fox in the hen house. Madmen are out to kill us, and we bow and kiss their blood-stained hand. Natural disasters are exploding all over the planet. I have said repeatedly, and I will say again, that I have no clue when Jesus will come back for his church. I have no idea when the rapture will occur. But from the signs the Lord has given us for the last days, it may not be much longer. The Bible teaches that a major sign of the end of the age will be when people call evil good and good evil. Could it be a coincidence society is doing that now? Or is God trying to tell us something? This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says... The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Thank you, James. James Collins has a brand new book coming out this fall entitled The Twelve, Ancient Messages of Hope for Today's Dark World. Be sure and stay tuned for your chance to get this important resource. Be sure and get today's offer as well, Hope for This Present Crisis by Michael Youssef for a gift of $25 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. Our new email newsletters are going out to thousands of inboxes every week with the latest information on current events in Bible prophecy. Get these email newsletters free of charge and stay informed. Sign up at swrc.com or call 1-800-652-1144. 
Next time, we look at some of the headlines of the day with the latest Bible in the News report, and James Collins will visit with Terry James to answer the question, do our pets go to heaven? Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.